Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 286. Today, we are jumping into another Look Back series episode. If you dig scrapes, you're going to want to check this out, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Hope everyone had a a good and safe Memorial Day weekend. Hope you got a couple days off. And uh, if you haven't yet got out into the timber to get your trail cameras out, hopefully this past weekend you had a little bit of free time uh, outside of spending it with some family to get some uh, deer work done. This past weekend is usually my mad rush to try to get everything updated. Uh, all my cameras out and stuff like that. But fortunately for this year, um, I've been kind of on top of the ball or on top of my game. Maybe that's the better way to say it. On top of the ball, I don't think it's even a phrase. Uh, but I've been on my game this year and got everything out. A uh, few that I need to hang yet that I'll hang as we get further into uh, further into the summer that are just mainly velvet inventory cameras that I have yet to set out. But for the most part, all my deer work is done. Um, and we're going to keep this up front short for you today since we are in a short week. Uh, seems like the work week, everyone still just jams five days worth of work into four days. So got a lot to get to. But before I jump into this week's episode, um, I have a really awesome deal for you guys from our friends over at Exodus. Uh, if you are somebody that's been following the Exodus brand over the last seven years, and have been hung up on trying one of their reliable, dependable, and borderline bulletproof trail cameras, then they have a special campaign just for you starting uh, right now until June 13th. Use code YEAR7, that's Y-E-A-R, number 7, to save 20% off the entire Exodus website. That includes the borderline bulletproof Exodus render, any render bundle, and SP-18 solar panel, and any new merch i've been using the the render with the sp18 solar panel pretty much on all of my setups i essentially set them 
whenever they happen to go out, some of them stay out all year round. And then I basically can forget them as I don't need to worry about changing batteries in those. In case you're not familiar with the product line, the Exus Render is the Verizon 4G LTE camera that provides some of the fastest transmission times in the entire industry. On top of that, it's about as user-friendly as it gets and just flat out works when it matters most. Also, if you're not familiar with the Exodus Advantage, let me just tell you these three things. Five-year no-bullshit warranty, five-year theft and damage coverage, and best-in-class customer service. Now's the time to experience the Exodus Render. Do yourself a favor and start running the most dependable Exodus Render cell camera. Over the last seven years, Exodus has consistently shown they build quality cameras that flat out work, and now they're very excited to announce this is new. So peel your ears here. Keep your peepers peeled on this one. A new limited product offering for archery hunters. But you'll have to sign up for the Exodus newsletter to learn the details. So head to their website at exodusoutdoorgear.com and give the Exodus guys some support. And be sure to lock in the savings for the render bundle. With that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. What the uh, show is today is a look back series. So throughout the course of the year, I I personally go back and, and revisit some of the the past podcast and just listen through is for my own edification, especially when I have guests on like Troy Pot and the Troy Pottingers of the world and Nathan Killens and stuff like that. And just kind of refresh my memory of some of the things that, that we've talked about. And so this past year I thought, well, while I'm doing that, if there are clips that jump out to me that I think are particularly poignant or that make a really great point, I should pull them together and just create episodes around them as a way to kind of give you guys the straight dope from those episodes without having to listen back through those specific, you know, those the the, the longer form of the episodes. So that's what we're doing today. And today I have the, the clips that we pulled are a, a couple with Tony Peterson, a couple with Troy Pottinger. My good buddy Ryan Glitzky is in this as well. And then we wrap it up with Jake Hofer. And what you're going to find with most of this is we're really talking a lot about scrapes and, and hunting off of scrapes and, and, and hunting big woods. I would say that that kind of, if I were to boil it all down, it is really big woods and scrape hunting is what this episode is all about. So if you dig those two things, you're in for a treat. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the show. And as always, thank you all for listening. This first clip is with our good buddy, Tony Peterson. And what we're talking about in this in this particular clip is Tony wrote an article for Meat Eater or that he had asked me for a couple quotes or a couple thoughts that he could kind of uh, use to kind of help 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 the article. And uh, it was really around the idea of how to become a better, a better, a better deer hunter, and what that approach is. And if you know anything about Tony, you know the approach is um, there is no easy way, and it's all just based on work and getting out there and and, and doing it. And so we got on this topic of neuroplasticity, which is you know kind of how you expand the mind and, and and so forth. And that really was kind of the crux of this part of the conversation. But he kind of backs up a little bit, and we talked just a little bit about you know, the magic bullets that, that might be suggested in the outdoor industry and, and whether or not they're actually effective and what the real way is to ultimately becoming a better deer hunter. So let's jump into this clip and check it out. Yeah. I mean, so let, let's talk about that neuroplasticity because I think it is so important to deer hunters, but let's back up a second on that because that, that article, I can't remember what that was called, but it was, it was something like the one way to become a better deer hunter, like the one guaranteed way. I can't remember what the clickbaity title they put on it for me was, but it was something about becoming a better deer hunter. And I'm really, I'm really trying to lean into that. Like, like you mentioned earlier about that foundations episode I did on, on long range glassing and like, oh, I got to get out there. That's sort of the goal with a lot of the stuff I create is to get you out there. Mm -hmm. Like, so we've, we've kind of created in this hunting industry, like, I'm going to give you the answer. You'll kill more deer. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I own some kind of intellectual property. You don't. And <laughs> when I spill the beans, you guys are going to go out there and you're going to kill one. And the reality is that's just not true. Like if, yeah. if that were the case, we just listened to, you know, the outdoor channel celebrities and we'd all be killing 200 inches. Like we're not yeah. like there's, there's a reason. And so that kind of stuff, I, I love those kind of articles because they, they get people to go, I'm going to go try this or, or I'm going to try to be better instead of, I'm going to try to find this like loophole out in nature where the deer are dumb or where I can call them in or where I can do something that's like, you know, it's demonstrably not going to work. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, statistically, maybe that's the wrong word. It, maybe statistically, it's just not going to work for you, but getting lots of experience in the woods will work for you. Yeah. Spending lots of time scouting and enjoying yourself and, and learning this process and owning it. it will make you better. Like that's, that's the route most of us have to take because we can't write a giant check and kill 
old dumb deer. Like we just can't. Right. And one, one of the things that goes along with that is like what you were talking about with the neuroplasticity. We are really creatures of habit in a lot of ways. And that, that video with the guy on the bike, that was the reason that it took him eight months to learn how to ride that bike, which was just the opposite steering of a regular bike. Every, every regular bike you've ever ridden in your life was because he grew up riding a bike a certain way. And that groove was worn really deeply in his brain. And as an adult, that shit's hard to change. But as a kid, you can give that to an eight-year-old and three weeks later, they can just ride it fine because the groove isn't worn as deep. And man, we do that with hunting all the time. Yeah. It's, there was one quote that he mentioned in there that I thought was just on point. And it's funny because it's not even deer related, but I think that that's the thing as deer hunters and just in general in life, it's like you need to learn to look outside of like your own personal biases and influences to kind of find the best ways to do things, right? Like that's the one thing whenever you work in any type of business, you know, me working in like digital strategy, I work in a specific sector of digital strategy for a specific type of business. I'm all the time looking outside of my, what I do every day for new ways to do the same things that we've been doing, but a way to adapt it. Right. And that's where the real value comes. Like the one quote he had was knowledge does not equal understanding. And I thought, man, that is powerful because there are so many people when you listen to them talk, right. Or you read an article by them or whatever, maybe it's a hunting celebrity. It's like, man, they got a lot of knowledge, man. They can talk to you about scrapes and sitting on field edges and planting food plots and doing all this stuff and all that stuff's wonderful. Right. But when you put them out in the middle of nowhere without the ability to manipulate, they don't have the understanding, right? It's not applicable, right? It's like they can, they, they, they get it academically, but the application aspect of it to show true understanding just, just isn't there. And the tie back I made to the whole Alzheimer's thing, I guess I should bring that full circle because people are probably like, what the hell is we talking about? <laughs> um, so not to get too far into the weeds, but the way Alzheimer's kind of works, and I'm going to make this really generic because I was watching a Ted talk and there was this woman who was a doctor and she was given a kind of a speech on you know, the importance around neuroplasticity related to Alzheimer's and cognitive kind of diseases. And there's these things called plaques and, 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 and tangles essentially in, in Alzheimer's and plaques do exactly what you kind of think they would do. They gum up the works. They get in between, in between kind of neurotransmitters are going to fire and neuro networks and they kind of block it. Right. Tangles do exactly what you think tangles would do. They wrap around the neuro, the, the, the neuro, the, the, the telephone wires, if you will. And eventually they get so tight, they choke it out. Right. And so the challenge with Alzheimer's is, is that if I know Tony Peterson as Tony Peterson, the hunter, and that's the only way I know him when the plaque or the tangles are both potentially intercept that neuro connection, I no longer know Tony because I only know him one way. But if I know Tony, the hunter, I know Tony, the father, I know Tony, the good friend, I know Tony, the writer, I know Tony, if I know him in six different ways, when that plaque or tangle kind of block that one way that I know him, maybe it blocks the hunter version. I still know Tony five other ways. And so I don't forget him. And that's kind of how I see deer hunting. It's like, if I know how to hunt a transition in a swamp one way, and that's the only way I know how to hunt a transition, I have knowledge, but I don't really have understanding of the transition. But if I know how to hunt it and, I, and I've hunted it before in a swamp, I've hunted it in the big woods, hardwood setting, I've hunted it in a pine, in a, in a pine setup, I've hunted it in deciduous forest setup or whatever the case is, I now not only know how to hunt a transition, I've actually applied and, and understand how to actually execute the hunt. And that to me is like where the neuroplasticity comes in is like, I want to know multiple ways of the same thing. That way, no matter when I see it, where I see it. I immediately will know and have an analog of how I should approach it because I know it from a multitude of angles, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, it, it's a, that was a really nerdy way to say, get lots of experience out there <laughs> hunting different places and watching deer do their thing. Yeah. Really? I mean, it, it, it it's just a day. But it's a scientifically thing. proven approach, right? That's kind of like the point of it is that like, you know, yeah. this, this approach to expanding your neuro network you know, is, is scientifically proven in a bunch of different ways and therapy kind of settings, but it's still just your brain working at the end of the day. Right. And if that, if you think of it in that context, that's just my brain working and it's only going to do what I feed it. Then you're more mindful of what you're feeding it and and actually paying attention to the things you're taking in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe this is totally wacky, but I think that our brains have like a very strong default mode Mm. where, especially if you're, I kind of had this revelation this week. I was talking to, 
I had to interview Andy May for something. And so we just got to BS. And, and of course he was just leaving the woods cause he'd been out scouting. And then the next day, uh, I guest hosted a, an episode of wired to hunt with Mark, where we talked to Zach Farinbo. Mm-hmm. And so I got to talk to those two guys just back to back. And I was like, man, there's so many similarities between these guys and some of the just Eddie Claypool type big buck killers out there on public land. And it's so tied to this just thirst for new. And, you know, like when, like for Andy, for example, when I was talking to him, he was telling me about this place he was scouting his public land in Michigan. And I was like, well, how are the prospects? And he's like, well, I won't kill one here this year. I'm just trying to learn it. Just, you know, like he wasn't going in there. Like I'm, this is guerrilla warfare. He's like, I'm just, you know, this place interests me. I'm walking through it in a rainstorm (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm going to learn this and it's not going to pay off this year, but it's going to pay off long-term. And he's just expanding that and keeping his, like keeping things fresh and going, Mm -hmm. okay, like here's, here's some new inputs, here's some new learning. And it's, it doesn't allow him, he's not going to get into a rut. He's, he's going to keep going and it's not going to get stale or he's not going to default to like, well, I guess I go to this stand because it's October 7th and eight years ago I saw a nice one. You know what I mean? Like he's, (laughs) he's moving, he's moving forward. All right, this next clip is, again, with our good buddy Tony Peterson. Uh, this, uh, uh, both these clips, were, I think, were from podcast number 245. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, you might want to go back and check that out. But this clip coming up is really kind of talking about you know, how a lot of times as you know, podcast hosts or writers or whatever the case is, we spend a lot of time focusing on hunting mature deer or mature bucks, uh, which is great. You know, I think, you know, as you kind of progress in your hunting journey, you know, a lot of times, you know, a lot of folks want to kind of move in that direction, you know, uh, older age class of deer, a little bit more challenging, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I think a lot of times we look past the idea of just hunting deer and how beneficial just hunting deer can be. I know for me, when I go out of state, that's kind of almost always where I start because I don't know a lot about the place that I'm at, especially if I've never scouted it before. Um, Late season is a great opportunity or great, a great place to just hunt deer. If you can just get in deer, uh, then you at least give yourself a chance to uh, be in the game, right? And so that's really what this clip talks about, talks about is not just the benefit for maybe seasoned hunters, but definitely the benefit for those who maybe are newer to hunting or younger in their hunting journey, so to speak, and the benefit to just plainly hunting deer. So let's go ahead and check this clip out. Yeah, man. I mean, I think we get caught up in the idea of like, I want it to happen here. I can envision it and that's how I want it. Yep. Well, I, without question, we do that. But I, I also think like I, I've, been, I've been kind of, I, I, so I wrote an article recently for Meat Eater about why I love to shoot young bucks. Spencer really wanted me to write it. It freaking blew up good and bad. <laughs> it went both ways. It broke all over the place, but it, it made me think we really, we ha- we have a weird thing going on where we talk about mature bucks a lot, mm-hmm. but I know in my life, I hunt deer a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I target mature bucks. It's, it depends on the situation. But a lot of times I go hunt deer. And sometimes that leads me to big bucks. And what it made me realize is like, when you, we, we have a lot of people listening to us and a lot of people reading the things we write. And, it, and, and they're like, they skip that learning to deer hunt stage. And they're kind of, kind of in this like, well, okay, I'm going to target mature bucks. Like I'm going to target mature bucks on, on public land. Like, man, could you go kill a forky consistently on public land? Like, could you really, instead of just like saying it or like a mature doe, like if you have an antlerless tag, how long, like, just give me an estimate. How long do you think it'd take you to, to fill? Because there's a lot of reality baked into those scenarios sometimes. And I think, I don't think there's any way around this. If you're hunting pressure deer to learn deer first and bucks second. And I I think that that, I think we kind of have missed that message a lot of times and you get reminded of it when you start traveling, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you start traveling, like, yeah, okay. Like, okay, I'm going here. You start looking for buck sign and stuff, but what you're doing, you're not, you're not throwing away the forky sighting and you're not throwing away the does that walk through. You're kind of like, I'll take it all. Cause Mm -hmm. I want to, like, I need as much as you can give me here in this four days or week. And that stuff matters. And I think sometimes when we're at home or we're in a comfortable situation, it's like that, that little six pointer doesn't matter. And it's like, man, he might matter so much by just how he goes down the ridge and cuts down or how did he approach the water like that? 
because it was him today doesn't mean it isn't 140 incher tomorrow. Right. And you know, like if you don't, if you if you're kind of just dismissive of that stuff, you're maybe not you're you're maybe not taking your game the right way. All right, this next clip is with uh, my good buddy Ryan Glitzky. Uh, Ryan's a fellow PA guy uh, out in Western uh, Western PA, just an absolute um, absolute killer. And uh, you know, Ryan and I have a lot of similar uh, similarities in terms of how we um, in terms of how we hunt, uh, type of terrain that we hunt, and the things that we kind of kind of focus on. We have, you know, again, like I said, we're very similar in kind of how we approach things. Um, the one thing with Ryan though, is like, he is, you know, admittedly he's, you know, classifies himself as kind of primarily a rut hunter. That's when he has the most of his success. That's where he has his, his best encounters. And it's not as though he doesn't hunt the other parts of the season or doesn't have encounters, but just historically, you know, his game that he's kind of built, I guess, so to speak, uh, currently, you know, really kind of allows him to find the most success during the course of, uh, during the course of the rut. You know, he's always actively kind of working on other parts of his game, but that's really, you know, what a lot of his, uh, what a lot of his focus is. And during this clip, what we talk about is, uh, hunting off of, uh, hunting off of big sign or hunting off of sign. It was a theme that I kind of had last year with a couple different guys that I talked to. And it's not a surprise because a lot of them have a lot of, a lot of similarities in how they hunt. And so what Ryan talks about in this clip is just how he might set up off of, off of a primary scrape or a community scrape or, or what we, the other thing that we talked about was kind of taking a look at different topography features and stuff like that and understanding that, you know, certain topography features are going to attract, uh, the reason you like them and you see them on a map is the same reason that the guy down the street likes it and also sees it on the map. It's really obvious. Uh, so what we talk about a little bit is how do you use those terrain features? Cause deer obviously are going to be aware of those terrain features, but how are they going to adjust how they're using them and how can you plan for that? So that's what we talk about in this clip. Check it out like you hunt a broken piece of timber. Um, you yeah. have to have everybody sees those big saddle. Yeah. Everybody sees the big saddle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And guess where everybody's going to be at. They're going to be in the saddle. Yeah. And, and once them deer three and a half, four years old, they kind of figured out, not, they're not going to use it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I rather come off that saddle, you know, 50, hundred, whatever yards. And there's a ditch funnel coming up through or, mm -hmm. or something, you know, or, or, or a draw coming up through where they're pinching down. You know, they're still might be utilizing that saddle. They might come not be coming through the dead center, but they might be working the edge of that saddle, circling around that ridge. Well, then you catch them at the ditch funnel. It, or right. you know what I mean? That's that's the spot I look for. Is uh, maybe I'll come off a main uh, area like that and find another transition or funnel or something there. That's where I think that's where you can kill. Them. That right. that's the stuff I look for. A couple things are coming together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, and it's consistent with stuff that I've talked to. You know, whether it's you know, Nathan Killen or whoever, you know, that's a big yeah. thing. Whenever I start talking to guys who are killing big deer consistently, mature deer consistently, they're rarely ever killing them at the, I don't want to say the obvious spot because they definitely will not, they will take the obvious spot. If it's the, if yes. it's the most, you know, yes. if it's the place they think they're going to kill, right. They don't, yeah. they don't go yeah. off the beaten path to say going off the beaten path. They go off the beaten path because they think that that's where the opportunity is, is, is going to be, you know, but I'm curious you know, when you, so let's, let's talk about that in, in terms of like a scrape, like hunting a scrape, like, would you hunt, do you hunt right on the scrape to be able to shoot to it? Or do you hunt off of it? Because I know from doing the, the, the podcast, it's like, I have guys who I respect as hunters on both sides of it. You know, I'll like, for example, yeah. John Eberhart wants to be able to shoot to his destination locations that he calls them. Right. So whether he's hunting yeah. an apple tree, he wants to be able to shoot to it. If he's hunting a primary scrape, you know, he wants to be able to shoot to it. That's where his opportunity is. That yeah. deer is going to come and check that. That's why he's there. And I want to be able to shoot to it. You talk to a guy like Nathan Killen. He won't hunt. Mm -hmm. He won't hunt over a scrape. Oh, I shouldn't say he won't hunt over a scrape. He doesn't often hunt over a scrape. He hunts off the scrape yeah. based on how that deer is going to ultimately get to that, want to travel into that scrape. Because mm -hmm. he's just seen too often in the big woods where those deer aren't hitting those scrapes until nighttime. And that they're potentially yeah. skirting them or whatever the case is. And so he's trying to figure out what the interception point is between, you know, wherever he's coming from in the, in the scrape. What's your approach to that? Yeah. Every situation is different. Um, I played both sides. Um, mm -hmm. I have locations that those scrapes are set up in the pinch or near the pinch where I can shoot through the scrape and cover the, uh, the final pinch point transition, whatever it is, I can cover multiple things. And that's actually, when I get into an area, I'm picking the spot 
than picking the three. I think it was Heath Cisco. I just heard a couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, and that 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 hit home. Mm-hmm. You got to find the spot, and you got to hunt the spot. Then you pick your tree. You don't you don't pick that tree first. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to pick that spot. Does that mean I'm shooting for the scrape? Yeah. Is that shooting for the train feature? Yes. Maybe not. Um, there's locations I may be off that scrape 50, 60, 70 yards. I might be backed off at hunting it, maybe a creek crossing or something like that. There's multiple trails crossing before they branch off to the scrape. You know, there's different situations. Like I said, I'm going to hunt the spot before I, you know, hunt the actual tree. Right. And that's kind of how I do it. You right. Know? Yeah. Cause you're, you're, that makes sense because you're using, you know, the scrape is the, you know, trying to get the kid to take the candy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. To, to a yeah. degree, yeah. but you're looking for what gives me the best odds of having the encounter I need to have. And sometimes it's sitting on that scrape. Like you mentioned, whenever you're in that pinch or it's yeah. sitting off of it, if you have three or four trails intersecting somewhere, he, he could be coming down any one of those. If you, if you're not a hundred percent sure, and now you have an opportunity yeah. because now you have multiple access points that he could be using. And then he may skirt that scrape. Still, you're really just banking on him hitting that scrape. If you're sitting over that scrape. And if there's not a funnel to make yeah. him go to it, he may never make it there. Yeah. It, like I said, I'm, I mean, I, I, the perfect scenario is, you know, I have one spot in the mountains. Um, it's basically a couple ditch funnels that come together off a clear cut and all those trails come down to a big major primary scrape. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, you know, the, the, you know, the clouds open up and it's shining on. You're like, duh. You know what I mean? And that's a perfect yeah. scenario when you get something like that. As long as your access and exit exit's good and your wind's good and everything, that's a dynamite setup. But those are few and far between, you know what I mean, to find that perfect setup. Um, like I said, sometimes you just got to, sometimes you got to think outside the box, you know what I mean, in situations. You know, but like I said, I, I, I'm trying to always look, like I said, for multiple things coming together, you know. Yeah. Does that include the scrape? Possibly, possibly not. That, that, but I'm always looking for the multiple you know, things coming together to basically give me multiple opportunities. That's kind of what I'm looking for. All right. So this next clip is a guy that both Ryan that you just heard from and I kind of follow a lot of his teachings, I guess, might be uh, might be one way to say it. Uh, this is uh, Troy Pottinger. Uh, I've done a couple different podcasts with him. But this clip specifically – um, if you don't know a whole lot about Troy, I'll give you the quick Cliff Notes version uh, of, of, of his description. But Troy's from Idaho, um, awesome mountain whitetail hunter, uh, kills super old target. Well, I should say it this way, targets the most mature deer in the woods and kills typically the most mature deer uh, and usually ends up being the biggest deer in the woods. The thing with where Troy is hunting in Idaho is that, as you can imagine, it's out west, so you have a lot of vast area. I mean, we're talking like to the tune of millions of uh, of acres. So you're you're really talking about legitimate uh, big woods. Beyond that, obviously, the weather is uh, a factor. Just the amount of snowfall that they get out there, especially when you get into elevation. And uh, the number of predators that he's kind of contesting with as well. I mean, where he's at, there's wolves, there's grizzlies, and uh, mountain lions, all which are, <clears throat> you know, using deer as <laughs> as part of the food chain. Uh, so he is not the only one uh, seeking these these deer out. So he has a lot, a lot of competition. So that's a little bit of background about Troy. What he's doing in this particular clip is we're talking about how Troy goes about breaking down the mountains of Idaho again. Lots of area, lots of different elevation, lots of different terrain, lots of different uh, vegetation and habitat, and trying to tr- uh, pick Troy's brain to get a sense as to how he goes about taking something that just seems almost unsurmountable and breaking it into uh, chunks or pieces that he can digest and make a plan uh, for the upcoming hunting season. So let's check out this clip. You know, so I guess let's do a scenario here. It's like, let's say you're headed to a new area. We've dropped Troy off somewhere in Idaho where he's never been. And you know that there's good mountain whitetails in there. Where do you, where do you start and how do you start breaking down an area that's so big? Right. Well, I've, I've at least seen it on a map. I can promise you that. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, no, to, to start everything now, um, where I'm at with my approach nowadays is I always, Everything starts with a map, satellite imagery, and topo combined. And I've taught this in my boot camps with guys, and I show them firsthand. I literally do a split screen 
Hmm. And I dissect the elevations that I prefer based on decades of just learning where these whitetails like to survive with the wind and the thermals based on the size of the mountains and the elevation and the habitat. And then I, you know, I, I break down all the topography, uh, what makes sense, uh, slope for certain times of the year, how hot it is out. You know, I open up August 30th mm-hmm. and I finish December 24th. So I'm going through the three seasons of hunting as, right. as far as uh, summer, fall and winter. I get to hunt those three seasons. And all of these animals are driven to survive based on, you know, shelter and food and, and procreation. So for me, it all starts with those maps nowadays. And then when I get dropped or I jump into the woods where I want to head, I've already got a heck of a game plan in my mind, specific terrain based features, elevations and habitat that I find by combining those maps. Um, I've already got a really good idea where the best security cover is, the best thermal advantage, wind advantage for a buck to have everybody outplayed and to survive a lot of years. And then, of course, those terrain-based driven, you know, a funnel out here isn't anything like a funnel in Iowa. And I've hunted Iowa and I've hunted the flat ground. Mm. It's nothing like a pinch. I mean, my pinch might equate to a specific long ridge line that runs two miles, but because of where it's located away from roads, I'll get a lot more daylight traffic through a couple saddles than say the guy two ridges over that's too close to a road and too close to noise. Um, he'll get a lot of nighttime traffic and his will look just as good as mine habitat wise. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So I dive in, uh, to a piece of ground, uh, I've already broken it down extensively via maps. And then I go in and start looking for what I need to see as far as sign goes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing that I think gets overlooked and gets misled, especially if you're a mountain bow hunter like I am, and I'm hunting several million acres. Yeah. Not a million, several million acres between my three states. Um, I think one thing that really gets misread in the woodsmanship of, being a true whitetail guy uh, is being able to decipher the year old, six month old, one month old right now sign that can actually mean something to you even the next year if you know what you're looking for. And, and that's one reason why those big community scrapes for me come into play because those, that type of sign is decades and decades and decades of production for a hunter can't or it can be it can equate to to a lot of uh, uh real positive hunts over 10 20 years if uh if you know how to play it right you know i it was funny you bring this up because today on instagram i posted a picture of a community scrape that i've been hunting for over 20 years off of a ridge that I've taken four or five of my best whitetail bucks ever over 20 plus years and my biggest Idaho buck ever. So it just, and I got two bucks there right now that are just cool bucks. I mean, they're not quite giants yet, but that place just produces based on the aforementioned, all the different, uh, just characteristics that I just spoke about earlier. Um, it has, that spot has everything. Yeah. The security cover, the feed, the elevation, the advantage for a big buck to stay alive. And when you take a big buck out of that mountain and that spot, another one will find it within a year or two or even within weeks and, and move right in just because of what the thermals and the wind and the cover and the feed and the water, all everything's there for him right. to his advantage, if yeah. that makes sense. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, 
Have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, so to keep this uh, Troy Pottinger train rolling, uh, because the, I think it was a podcast 252 that some of these clips are actually pulled from. Um, it was a rather long podcast, and Troy just drops serious knowledge when it comes to big woods and, and mountain hunting. And so the build off of this, off of the how do you break this stuff down? How do you break this vast area down that he just kind of described? The next step, you know, and this was something I've been kind of playing with um, in the big wood piece, big woods piece that I've been scouting and started hunting just a little bit last year is, you know, the thing for Troy, especially because you're talking about such a wide area. I mean, if you're not deciphering the sign in the woods correctly, you could be weeks behind a deer and just be completely out of the game based on the amount of room or the amount of miles that the whitetails that he's chasing particularly are, are potentially, you know, traveling, whether they're in like the drainage over two drainages over, which is, you know, when you're on the East coast, you think about hollows, maybe he's a ridge or two ridges over or whatever. I mean, when you're talking about the West and you're talking about one, two drainages over, I mean, you're talking about a pretty fair piece uh, or pretty, you know, significant, potentially a pretty significant distance. And so what we talk about in this clip coming up is really the importance of deciphering the timing of the sign, especially in the big woods, how critical it is to even having a chance or putting yourself in the game, in the game, you know, things like how old the rubs are and how fresh scrapes are. Now Troy kind of focuses on community scrapes. So that's kind of a known quantity for him. And, and we talk about that at some point. Um, but his, his approach to kind of understanding the woods uh, is really that, the deer is the teacher, and if you just pay attention in class, the teacher, the teacher, aka the deer, will tell you everything you need to know. So let's go ahead and jump into this clip and check it out. Well, I'll, yeah, I uh, when I go into an area, I don't even get excited about a spot unless I see a lot of traditional signs. Mm-hmm. Even historical, um, like even when you, if you see historical sign, like you're, you're liking that. Cause you're like, this place is being used. Even if there's nothing that's fresh, you're looking at it going, this is historically well, a place where deer want to spend time. This is what I want to see. I want to see more than just historical. I, I want to see, I want to see traditional historical sign that shows me years and years of a big white tail liking this area. Mm-hmm. And then I want to see right now signs saying they're still there. They're, they're even, they're here right now. Right. But I, I want to, because what does that tell you about a great mature buck hideout area that tells you that the, the deer will teach you everything. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of guys miss out on it, everybody wants to jump into the latest trend mm-hmm. or the cool new catchphrase or dive into something that's a hot fad. But the truth is if you, in big woods, in big mountainous country, like I hunt, the only thing that really works is what the deer show you and tell you, yeah. and they'll let you know if you stop and really pay attention yeah. and break down and decipher old sign, historical sign, traditional sign. I mean, I'm looking for, I always look for trails that look like they've been there for decades. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm not saying they're going to stand out like a sore thumb yeah. um, because a trail in the mountains with a low deer density isn't going to look like anything in the river bottom that has 50 deer traveling it all the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, hundred percent. So, so I, I'm looking for that. And then I'm looking for those rubs and scrapes. I love finding trees that are an area that's just got all the habitat a buck needs to not have to move and hardly even move during the day. And then it'll have, I'll find rubs that I can tell are 20, 30 years old all the way up to very fresh. There's a big guy or two living in the area right now rubs. Mm-hmm. So it's putting all of those pieces together. You know, the scrapes uh, are positioned. 
in accordance with where the doe family groups overlap his big core area. And I put all those pieces together. When, quit, guys. Sorry, my, my labs are... <laughs> boys, quit. Sorry about this. That's all right. Hey, they just wanted to join, the, put, they wanted to join anyway, the fun, man. It's all right. Oh, yeah, they're playing with an antler. Um, <laughs> boys, quit. Anyway, so back to... I, I'm looking for all of the pieces of the puzzle of the big picture and not just right now and not just historical. I want to see it all because it tells me those bucks have a reason for wanting to stay there. Right. And there's a reason why they continue to reload in that area. If that, if that comes across, you know, I'm looking for those bucks that like to reload those areas that get reloaded year after year after year. And it's yeah. because an old white tail buck in those woods has everything he wants to his advantage. Um, yeah. I also break everything down and literally walk in on my first scouting mission doesn't matter what month of the year it is, and I'll scout a piece of ground. I don't care what month it is. I break it all down based on how the predominant winds mix with the everyday thermals based on every slope in that country because all the winds and thermals work a little different on slope, and I'll break all that down ahead of time, and I can pretty much pinpoint usually within four or 500 yards of where a big buck's living, and then I'll go into that area for the very first time on foot and actually get to see it firsthand. And usually it comes to fruition. I'll go in there. I'll either find his big scrapes, find, I'll, I'll find where the does are, are using the area. I'll find where he's usually elevated in his position. And I'll either find a big community scrape in there or I'll place one. And within a two or three days, I can usually get a good one on camera. Uh, rarely anymore and, and I, it used to not be this way mm-hmm. it, it took me decades of trial and error making mistakes striking out to where now i just kind of go to go with some absolutes that i have to have and when i do that uh they show up and they're there and right. i also play a biological game with them with scent i trap whitetail that's right. what i do right i'm a trapper right but, but i'm not catching them with a foothold I'm using their biology to come to me and check me out because they think I'm a new dude in town. All right. This next clip is again with uh, Troy Pottinger. And the thing, aside from, excuse me, aside from being a, just a mountain whitetail killer, the thing that I guess maybe the strategy or the tactic that Troy might be most or best known for is his use of, community scrapes as as part of his hunting strategy he has a very specific way that he uses them a very specific way about how he uh, builds them if he builds mock scrapes uh, he has a very specific way uh, as to how he will how will actually hunt them I've actually adopted his approach uh, pretty much wholeheartedly um, and have seen the benefits of of using the approach that 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 he has that he shares in this, this next clip. So let's just go ahead and jump in and check this clip out. Okay. First, I think to be fair to the listeners, because there's so much verbiage out there in the world about scrapes that what one guy might think as a community or a primary isn't even close to the same or they're exactly the same. So for me, and I've been a community guy for forever. I mean, before I even think people said community scrapes, right. I was talking about. And what I mean is, the entire drainage, the big areas, my areas are huge. I might have a drainage that runs 15 miles long, but that entire drainage will have some specific sites, scrapes in it, that every deer in that drainage that travels that drainage, they'll know where that scrape is. So what I'm, what I'm targeting is a social hub scrape that every deer in the local drainage area has either, you know, all the does have taught their fawns about, you know, where it's at and they won't always live right next to it, but they'll know where it's at. Mm -hmm. And every buck in the local drainage in that area will know exactly where it's at. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that my deer densities are lower Mm -hmm. and deer travel. It doesn't, it doesn't bother a mountain deer to travel two or three miles is nothing. That's right. just a hop, skip, and a jump for them. So 
a community scrape for me is where when I put a camera on it or if I find one, I'll literally get every deer in that drainage within a two weeks period of time, at least checking it once or twice. And the deer that are bedded closer to it will often check it daily, especially the doe family groups. Mm-hmm. So that's my definition of a communal scrape versus just uh, a uh, rut frenzied scrape or a scrape laid down on a logged road just because the testosterone's high. Right. It doesn't get checked regularly. And it, and it hasn't been there. You know, a community scrapes has been established for decades a lot of times. Yeah. I always kind of and refer to them as like the barbershop of the, of the, of the, of the town. <laughs> they are the hub. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. are the hub. And every young deer has been taught by the older deer where they're at. Yeah, and is are and there the character? Dogs, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, are there characteristics that that you that you specifically seek out that define that? You know, like oh, multiple sure. multiple licking branches. Yeah. You know, location. Yeah. And, and I, yep, I've talked about that a lot. Um, when I walk up on one, a lot of times I can get on a map, go into an area, and locate it. If I spend enough time, boots on the ground, I'll find it. Um, but what I'll run into is multiple licking branches, years and years of abuse to the licking branches. I mean, and you can just, and that's something that 99% of the hunters walk right by and don't even know it was there. Yep. But I am just, my eyes are always, you know, eye level licking branches. I'm a, you know, I can see a licking branch 40 yards away, <laughs> 50 yards away in the woods. And nice. it's just because it's such a gold mine to me and it always has been. Yeah. And it's, it, you'll see all the sign. Most of the time at these community scrapes, you'll have terrain that has driven the traffic there, you know, without the animals even knowing it. And the wind is usually always good at one of these spots. And it's the security cover is always good. I mean, I never find these things out in the open where a rifle hunter could pick deer off at. You just, it's always in good cover, terrain based driven. You know, a lot of animals are cruising through there anyway so why not have one there you know it's an easy communication post that's in good cover and then as far as the licking branches there will be multiple sometimes there'll be three or four or five giant scrapes in a cluster mm-hmm. and I'll, when i say giant car hood size yeah i've got a couple of spots like that that are just blow your mind <laughs> and they produce deer year after year after year because every deer in the damn drainage knows where it's at and they know they need to go check it especially during the rut yeah so all that to say, yeah, I'm looking for that that detailed licking branch that's been that shows all the decades of use. Uh, the dirt below it will show depth in the scrape where it's been pawed and worked for so many years that there's actually some depth to it mm-hmm. instead of just on top of the flat ground. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll you know they'll be wore out pretty good, and I'm not saying they're dug out deep, but a lot of times they'll be an inch or two deeper than the all the ground around it. Yeah. You can just uh, almost see like, it's a little like satellite dish, like, you know, concaveness yeah, to yeah. it. You know what I mean? There's yeah. Some, yeah. There's some concave to it. Um, you know, when I find them, I'll get right down on my, I'll get down in a push up position and smell them. And even in the spring, there's, there's residual urine in the ground and scent. Cause urine crystallizes. Yeah. And then the licking branches will just be beat to heck. And lots of, vertical, vertical hanging licking branches. They've been pulled on and chewed on and twisted and worked for so many years that a lot of them are hanging straight vertical to the ground. And, you know, there's, I've got a, I've got one spot right now that I found a place where Ty killed the second best buck ever. Um, that community scrape might be the prettiest site that I've ever walked up on in my life when it comes to a scrape. And, you know, I found it in the spring shed hunting. And I knew I needed to check that ridge, and I knew that the deer were using that security cover on that ridge to move to move laterally, be based on what was around it and based on the hunting pressure around it. And sure enough, the scrapes were right where they were supposed to be, and there's like six of them there, and they're all within a 20 yard cluster. And I run video. Anybody's ever looked at my YouTube? I don't. I don't ever post anything that I'm trying to hunt right now, but I'll post all the past stuff. Yeah, and that. That YouTube channel of mine has that scrape cluster on it, and it's just unbelievable the traffic that spot gets. When the deer aren't migrated away from April to December, 
that communal scraping area, it just gets pounded from April to December. Hmm. The licking branches get worked all the way through all those months. All right. So this next clip, again, we're going to, we're going to keep the Troy Pottinger train rolling here because Troy, this, this section of the podcast that I did with, with Troy was just, was just gold, especially when we start talking about community scrapes, how he hunts them and stuff like that. So the other thing that he's really adept at is creating mock scrapes that actually are functional. I've, I've been creating mock scrapes for years and I've had varying degrees of success with them. Um, you know, in the recent in the recent past, I've had I've had much more success than I had probably you know than I did maybe five five years ago or so. And so last year, um, after talking with Troy and, and getting to know him, and 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 you know had him on the podcast a couple of times, text message with him back and forth and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to adopt the way he uses mock scrapes to see if I could get them to work to to work for me. And so I basically just adopted his mock scrape philosophy and that's what I've been using last year was really the first time that I had used it and I saw a um, I, I won't go as far as to say I saw a dramatic increase because I was already kind of having some success with mock scrapes but I went from having some success with mock scrapes to pretty much any time that I build a mock scrape now I'm getting what I want to get out of it whether I'm looking to get inventory out of it or whether I'm looking to create a spot that is potentially huntable. And when I say huntable, I'll go back to, you know, um, you know, the Ryan Glitsky clip where we talked about hunting off of sign, or if you've listened to the podcast with Nathan, Nathan Killen, where we talk about hunting off of sign. So I may create a mock scrape as a place for them to need to go, uh, in, in a position that is maybe gives me better access. Maybe there's a scrape, you know, somewhere and it's, and it's awesome and I get great inventory on it, but I can't hunt it. The access is just wrong and I'm going to blow it out anytime I walk into it. An instance where I may, may use a mock scrape is I might put one somewhere, you know, uh, in an area that is close to where maybe that scrape is, you know, or within like the realm of where that, I think that deer is spending time and where he might travel. And I'll put it there in a spot that I will actually be able to then access and hunt. And then I just need to learn the activity of the particular mock scrape. And I've had really good success with this last year in terms of just like getting inventory. There's a deer specifically that I was trying to kill. Uh, you've heard me tell this story before. I was a day late and a dollar short on him a couple times last year, but I actually made a mock scrape because the one that he was on initially, the primary scrape he was on, I was having a hard time getting access in, in, into the spot. It's public land, but it was hard. Like the way you get in was just really hard to get in without letting other deer know that you were there. And there was another spot that I thought I could use that I thought he would be in and around that area. So I put a mock scrape there and sure enough, that deer ended up coming through and started hitting that mock scrape. I just happened to miss him by like whatever it was, a handful of hours the one day um, where we were kind of ships passing in the night. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into the next, this next clip. This is where Troy really kind of details how exactly he builds his mock scrapes to actually work. So some of the most important details are, you know, I'm hunting, Midwest, I'm hunting three states up here in the north. I've hunted in Alberta. The first thing I do anywhere I go, and especially in my own home ground up here, which is three different states, every drainage, I pay extreme close attention to detail of what the deer prefer. When it comes to licking branch species and the visual that I build in a specific drainage, guess where I got that information from, for my scouting from what the deer have already showed me at other community scrapes in the same drainage. Yeah. I, I picked up right. I mean, it's so important to pick up on all those little details of what the deer like, mm-hmm. you know, I'll put them on the, there's only like in most drainages, there's one or two species that I will use based on what the deer have showed me in those given drainages of what to use for licking branch. And I have no problem harvesting the licking branch and moving it and scrapping it to a pine tree. It doesn't matter. I make sure they have the licking branch that they like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm obviously looking for a nice dirt bed area where there's some actual possibility to, you know, to make the dirt, you know, make a nice bed of dirt that can hold scent. You know, I stay mm-hmm. out of the rocks and stay out of the sand as much as I can. And, you know, I really pay attention to all those little things. But what's key is, is you got to place that scrape where that buck is huntable and killable 
based on where you put that scrape. Mm-hmm. You're wasting your time if you go put a scrape in a perfect location to get him to check it. But if you can't hunt that spot and if you can't access it and get out of there, you just ruined that whole, in my opinion, that whole setup because that buck will be on to you instantly if you don't if you don't set it up based on how the wind is going to work for him every day to get to it. You've just you're not even in the game, right? So then when I get to the actual details, um, yeah, I mimic what I see for community scrapes in those local areas, um, uh, the species, the the way that they're beat up, the way that the the vertical licking branches hang, and it's based on finding them. You know, I I I find them in those areas, and then I mimic that, and I make it look extremely authentic to them. It looks just like the one they know down the ridge, you know, 800 yards, if that makes sense. Right. Uh, copy all of that, but the entire time I'm basing the positioning of that scrape on wind and thermals. I'm letting the wind and thermal work for me 24-7 every day of the week or every year of the week that a buck could be using a bedding zone where most of that wind and thermal is sending that scent daily. It's just incredible to see, too, how quick deer jump on those i mean they're on them instantly i mean i had a guy from michigan this year a really cool guy did a podcast with um i think it was steve crawford i hope i got that name right really good guy anyway i sent him my kit he put it out he texted me back he said i can't believe this troy this was summer because i got 17 bucks on this in 24 hours i couldn't i mean i told him i said hey that's that's a number yeah he goes yeah he goes i can't believe it he goes i he goes, I positioned it with great cover. I knew there was bucks bedding in there. He goes, I can't believe it, Troy. There's 17 bucks on this in 24 hours. Now, are you going to get 17 bucks everywhere? Heck no. I'll right. never get 17 bucks on one in 24 hours. <laughs> I, I, don't have the, I don't have the deer numbers to do that. Right. But for me, it's all about getting the right buck that you're targeting to elicit his response in the daylight. That's the key. And be able to hunt it. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as the dirt work goes and this actual laying it all out, um, I always spray my hands with that vanishing hunter and I like to wear latex gloves if it's not too hot out. If my hands are going to sweat, I don't. I just spray, spray my hands down. Um, the dirt, I always dig up with a long stick on purpose from the woods and pack it away and throw it away. Just simple things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to pack tools miles in, so I don't do any of that. Uh, I really make the dirt bed. Uh, look like an authentic communal scrape that these deer have seen for years and they're used to. Um, I really load them up heavy with scent initially. I don't care what month it is because I want to get that scent. I want to get those scent molecules and that scent cone out into the thermals and the wind for a long distance. You know, I want it to travel a mile at least. Right. You know, and when I do my licking branch forehead gland initially on the first build, I always spray it, not only on the licking branches, but I go up in elevation above the licking branches on whatever uh, tree I'm using or whatever. And I don't care what, if it's, even if I, even if I transplanted the licking branch, say onto a black pine tree, Mm -hmm. I still go way up into the needles above when I initially build it because I want the wind and the thermals to push that scent of the forehead gland out through the woods a long ways. So I really load it up initially. The deer come in, they take it over, they start marking it with their natural scent. The only time I mark it again with my scents is when I'm there to hunt it or check a card, and that's it. That way I'm not intruding on them. You know, you were talking about having a cell camera. Mm-hmm. That's great. I yeah. love having running a cell camera. I just don't get service in very many of my spots. But yeah. where I do, I love that whole cell camera idea because I'm not intruding on them. All right, that is it from our buddy Troy Pottinger. We are going to move on to our last segment uh, for this particular Look Back Series episode. And this is with my good buddy from Exodus Outdoor Gear, uh, Jake Hofer. So Jake, if you don't know anything about Jake, what you really need to know is that the dude is a uh, a scrape fiend. Um, he's been watching scrapes for years. He loves scrapes so much so that Exodus has created a whole, you know, a content series during the course of the hunting season called scrape week, where they dedicate a week to kind of talking about scrapes and every, you know, basically everything and anything about, about scrapes. 
And, you know, Jake, you know, with the benefit of running a lot of trail cameras and then, you know, me, of course, I've, I've run quite a few as well. A lot of the way I kind of use cameras on scrapes prior to being able to meet, you know, the Troy Pottingers of the world and stuff like that was really, you know, based on how Jake uses trail cameras in and around scrapes and then through proxy Chad as, as well. And so what Jake and I really kind of talk about in this section or in this segment is what we've both kind of collectively picked up on over the years of running cameras over scrapes, specific significant dates that we've kind of seen that regardless of, of uh, where that camera is placed, you know, or where that scrape might be, if it, as long as it's a community scrape, um, that there are specific dates and timeframes that seem to hold true no matter what and certain activity that will seem to hold true no matter what. So we talk about that a little bit. And then we also talk about just on how Jake qualifies scrapes to hunt because there might be certain types of scrapes you're gathering inventory on and then there may be ones that you want to spend some time trying to hunt. So we also talk about that. So with that, let's go ahead and just jump into the segment and check it out. He looks like he might be the same deer from last year. I can't 100% tell. It's near this big community scrape. Last year, he hit it and uh, he started showing up uh, at night like this week, like mid this week is around the 12th, 13th ish, something like that. And he hit it the same time this year. And then he daylighted for the first time last year, this coming weekend. So like between like tonight and yeah, between tonight and like Monday night, he'll hit it in daylight. I'm almost positive. Mm. Right. And so I'm kind of watching the weather's going to drop on Monday. So I'm like, mm, man, Monday and evening hunt. Like if I were going to pick a day, that would probably be the day, you know, it'll fall within like the two day window roughly that he was in the area last year, you know? And so, you know, that to me, that stuff, especially this time of year becomes like almost invaluable, that type of information. Yeah. I yeah. totally agree with that. Yeah. And what you'll hear guys talk about too, like, I know I've talked to Litzinger about this is he's like, man, that 18th time frame, like 18th to 20th is like when you usually see big deer hit scrapes for like the first time, like in daylight. Oh, you know, Agreed. where, yeah. where you won't have seen them at all. Like maybe you got velvet, but yep. like they disappear kind of in a lot. And maybe not even then yeah. I've had where like, you don't even get them in velvet there, like on a licking branch. And then it's like, it is almost like clockwork, like the 17th to the 19th, 20th. And then it's like, okay, well they're alive and they're going to be back. And that was something I learned too, because the old adage is like scrapes don't mean anything. If they hit a scrape in the middle of the night, there's a 0.1% chance you're going to kill them. And I was like, and I, I had that adage for a while. And then it's like, my cameras are saying something completely different. Like if they show up, then I'm going to have not necessarily an opportunity to kill them, but they will be working that in the daylight. I would bet almost anything on it. Well, that just, that rolls into like my next question. So it's like, it's qualifying scrapes. Cause I think that's what we really kind of get to. Right. Cause it's like, yeah. yeah, we all have had and seen scrapes or even hung cameras on scrapes where, you know, we were taking a flyer on one and it was like, yeah, they hit it at night, but it really got, if it got daylight activity, it was, it was younger bucks or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know, those are things that are probably out in the open a little bit more. And I would say probably more scrapes of, I, I almost refer to those as pawings. Like, sure. uh, you know what I mean? A deer just laid something down and he happens to be going by. So I'm going to hit it, but he's not, it's not a destination for him. You know what I mean? You don't so, have those communicating with it really. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, how are you qualifying scrapes when you see them and how, you know, and how do you maybe like use different scrape setups differently potentially? Yeah, so some of the better ones I found were in postseason scouting. Um, <clears throat> and so that's one thing. The other one, something I always notice too is, so I guess the first one is postseason scouting where it's like you can tell, not necessarily like how large the actual scrape is, but like what is the proximity of to that scrape and then like what's going on in that area. Hopefully you hunted that area before or you have some sort of knowledge to really piece it together. So that's one thing that, is somewhat qualifying and then you can put a camera there in the summer and if there's deer hitting it then it's pretty fair to bet it's a community scrape and it's going to be a, a great opportunity now there's another farm that it was literally the only scrape i found on this farm and it was a community scrape it was off the edge of bedding and the same thing like the majority of velvet bucks were in there and it was like the scrape week action and then like uh it went dead for a while and then like the brown the 8 9 10th 11 12th like there were some bucks that filtered back in there so that that's one thing. And then the other thing in terms of qualifying, I think is the amount of sign that's maybe around it. And it's mm -hmm. like finding the scrape amongst many other kind of crappy scrapes that maybe only get hit, hit once or twice. And a lot of it too, is just from running 40, 50 cameras on a lot of scrapes too. Right. You just learn, you just yeah. learn. But the, 
one of them, one interesting story in terms of like qualifying. So I went down to the southern part of Illinois, and uh, Tyler and Casey from the Element Podcasters, and then Anthony was there, and I cannot remember the last guy's name, but he, but we, they picked out the spot. I had nothing to do with actually picking the spot, but we all walked it, and then Casey found a scrape, and I was like, guys, like this is it, like this is you can kill a giant buck here at the end of October, and they're like, yeah, whatever, like you know. I'm usually a pretty positive person. So they're just like thinking I'm just like talking up a average situation. <laughs> and then, so they put a camera on it and then sure enough, there's some solid bucks that show up in the summer on, on in velvet. And then they, uh, Tyler called me. He's like, it's October 17th. We have a little bit of a front. I think I'm going to go up there. I was like, no, just wait until the next front. And they ended up first sit. They went there, got like 150 inch eight pointer on the straight <laughs> that I called it. Like they, they were the trigger, man. Like they, they had so much more to do with it than what I did. But I said, this is the scrape. Like, you guys figure out how to kill him. But, like, this is it. Like, I have no he's doubt. Gonna, he's going to be here. All right, folks. That is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv